early in June, Naomi Osaka, the highest paid female athlete in the world, announced she'd be skipping media appearances at the French Open. She said that doing media appearances caused her extreme anxiety and she wanted to focus on her tennis game itself. She was fined $15,000 by tournament officials and entered into a power struggle over the issue. Ultimately, she withdrew from the French Open and subsequently has withdrawn from Wimbledon as well. So, let's talk about the mental health of elite athletes on this episode of Mindful. I'm Eric Bullman, the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association and the host of Mindful. The response to Naomi Osaka's withdrawal from two tennis majors has been mixed. There's been a lot of support from all across the world, but also a lot of backlash. It seems that we, the viewing public, have a hard time imagining that an elite athlete who can withstand the pressure of the toughest competition in the world might not be able to handle the pressure of something like a mandatory press conference. What we may be missing is that it's an entirely different kind of pressure. In today's episode, we talk to the two people who may know more about this than anyone in Canada. Sure. My name is uh, Adrian Leslie Tugit. I am a psychologist. I work in uh, Manitoba and I'm the director of sports psychology at the Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba. Yeah, my name is Chantal Van Landigam. I'm a PhD candidate in clinical psychology at the University of Manitoba and a 2016 bronze medalist from the Olympics. All right. And I want to talk to both of you guys about um, mental health and elite athletes, right? I mean, uh, right now this is in the news, uh, mostly because of Naomi Osaka, who uh, has now bowed out of Wimbledon as well, mostly because talking to the media has created some real mental health issues for her. And Chantal, I was hoping that you could give me a little bit of insight into that. I mean, you go to the Olympics, you're somebody on Team Canada, the swim team, you probably don't have to do a ton of media, but then you win a bronze medal. And I imagine that all of a sudden the media attention explodes. What was that like? And how do you deal? How did you deal with that? Yeah, I think it's a tricky balance as an athlete. And I've been quite fortunate um, to have largely positive experiences with the media. But um, it's definitely something that has the potential to draw your focus away from um, your competition or your events. And I think it can potentially be quite distracting for athletes as well. So it is something that we have to learn to cope with, um, especially, you know, when you don't have a performance that is as good as you wanted it to be. I think when athletes are dealing with the disappointment and the grief of a bad race or a bad performance, it's hard to talk to media right away after that and to kind of gather your thoughts when we're still processing it ourselves. So again, I've had really great experiences with the media, but I do think it's, uh, I do think it's tough on athletes sometimes, definitely. All right, so you're a psychology student and an elite Olympian. Uh, if you tell me you're also a student journalist, then I will think you know absolutely everything about this topic. I'm not, no. <laughs> All right, two out of three she years. She does have to do a lot of writing though, because she is a doctoral student. So she does do a lot of, she does produce a lot of written product. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, and, and Dr. Tugut, uh, I believe Chantal was uh, a client of yours as an athlete before joining your program. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that transition? And are you recruiting athletes at the highest level to become psychologists later on? Is that part of what you're doing here? 
No, definitely not. No. Um, yeah, it was uh, obviously an area that Chantel had interest in, and it, it's such a privilege for us to have. She, she has lived experience as an athlete, and she has an interest in psychology, and it's uh, wonderful that we had the opportunity for her to come and um, work with us at the University of Manitoba. Um, yeah, so we're just lucky. We're lucky to have her. Chantel's a great person. And how much, and you deal with a ton of high performance athletes all across Canada, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is why I wanted to speak to you because I cannot think of anyone more expert in the field uh, than you. How much do media appearances and talking to the media, how much does that play into uh, the psychology of what you, what you discuss with your clients? Uh, you know, is that a major concern for a lot of them? <laughs> Well, and I won't even use the word concern, but I think it's just a reality. And so I'll give an example right now. Chantel was in swimming and right now the Canadian trials are happening in swimming and there's athletes right now going through the trial process and earning spots on a team. And from a positive standpoint, when an athlete earns a spot on a team, you know, I chatted with one athlete just yesterday and uh, her comment was that she was pretty exhausted because she can't believe how many people are calling her and talking to her. And we talked about the fact that you need to contain that. So once you have that success, you actually have to develop a strategy because everything takes energy. And when you're training at that level, you need to protect your energy so that you can continue to strive and give yourself the opportunity to be successful. And, um, you know, you also have to um, learn ways to communicate that. You have to give yourself permission to, to set those limits. Um, so it's very different. And I know in Naomi's case, she talked about the fact that she had a certain temperament, you know, and she was, she referred to herself as introverted, as someone who um, that was just an additional stressor for her. So everyone has different personalities. Chantel uh, is, is not introverted. She's very outgoing. She likes talking to people. So for her talking to the media would be a very different energy than someone who was more introverted. And so I think there's a lot to take into consideration. And I think at the end of the day what this conversation allows us to recognize is that athletes are people too they're human beings that are doing unbelievable things but at the end of the day they're human beings and every human reacts differently to situations and you know one of the things that's really interesting is Chantel uh, completed her research in an area called alexithymia and a lot of people um, don't understand like what is alexithymia it's like wow I don't know what that is and uh, I don't <laughs> know what that is <laughs> okay um, and you know it's it's really um, an awareness of of what your emotional state is what your emotional reactivity is and understanding of what is an ability to express it and understand it and um, and obviously in a sport you're in a lot of situations that can induce or create a lot of emotion Chantel talked about a very positive experience and she's had the privilege of also being at a trials and having the opposite end of the spectrum you know and so they you know those trials they uh, there's a lot of emotion a lot of experience I loved what she said about you know they're asking us questions and we haven't even processed it yet um, so you know it's 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 just um, it's a tough situation for athletes sometimes and they're human beings and um, sport isn't always a culture that recognizes that. And that's why it's so, um, you know, amazing when people like Chantel are doing this research and helping us to understand uh, and be emotionally literate and helping our athletes to be able to process the emotion from those experiences that they have so that they can um, have those conversations with others. And so I imagine, uh, Chantel, then uh, you win a bronze medal and you're getting phone calls from all over the world, presumably from everyone in your family and everyone who's extended family and everybody who was in your block when you grew up and that sort of thing, as well as media calls. Uh, and one of the things that I think is one of the major issues, uh, certainly for Naomi Osaka and people in her situation, is that she is mandated to speak to the media by uh, the Tennis Federation. She has no choice. 
And so that creates a really difficult situation with Team Canada. Are you mandated as an Olympian to speak with, uh, with the media, with the CBC that's over there at the Olympics at that time? Uh, is that an obligation that you have when you go into that uh, situation? That's a very good question. And to be honest, I'm not 100% sure of that answer, but my sense is, is that there's a very strong expectation that we as athletes will take the time to speak with the media. Um, but I don't believe there's a fine um, or an explicit rule uh, that we have to talk to them, if that makes sense. Uh, that does make sense. Adrian, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not entirely positive as well. I, I was going to jokingly say that, you know, as an athlete, like the rest of us, they have a lot of papers to sign and him. There might be something in there somewhere, you know, because you just are like, yeah, you made the Olympic team. Um, there are very, um, there's a lot of protocol in terms of, you know, they get uh, clothing that's issued to them. And so there's certain outfits. So you'll notice, you know, there's a consistency the public sees in terms of every medal ceremony. You don't realize it, but every athlete has the same outfit on from Team Canada. At the, you know, start, everyone has the same outfit. So there's a lot of, um, you know, protocol that's outlined. And it's interesting. One of the things I do spend a lot of time with athletes with is how to talk to the media in a way that um, helps you be the best version of yourself. And so when um, reporters ask questions, you know, say you have an athlete who's really expected to do well at a, at a competition, at an Olympics or at a trials, and you can go away from that and interview feeling a lot of pressure if you respond to those questions in a certain way. And so I'll work with athletes a lot on how to respond to that, that, um, uh, to the reporters in a way that um, really encourages you to stay focused on the process and that you're not setting yourself up for this expectation that I have to win or I'm going to disappoint everyone. Um, you know, and so I think that's really important for athletes as well, because when you tell that, say you talk to 10 reporters and 10 reporters ask you if you're going to win and you say you are, that it could end up feeling like a lot of pressure at the end of the day. And so it's really important that when they ask you if you're going to win, you, you know, you're able to answer that in the way that says, you know, I've, I've trained really hard and I'm really looking forward to going and executing the way I've trained. And I don't have a lot of control over what the other competitors are going to do, but I'm really going to focus on myself and I'm going to do the best I can on that day, you know, and that feels very different than if you respond in a certain way. Uh, so, you know, I think it is really interesting to, you know, everything that you do is a part of that process and it's important to take that into consideration so you're providing talking points for athletes as well you're you're a media relations person <laughs> i i like to like uh yeah um, talk about um saying things in a way it can be heard or saying i just i'm always just again for me i'm really focused on the internal world of an athlete and the impact and implications of statements and how that's going to sit with them when they're alone at night and they're thinking about it so i'm really trying to do everything i can to help create an environment and conditions so that they can focus on their performance because that's what they've trained to do and you mentioned the you know that everybody on team canada is wearing the same clothes because that's contractually obligated right that's the kind of thing that doesn't really come up and doesn't get noticed as a specific thing until there's a controversy, right? I remember Michael Jordan and the Dream Team in the 90s. He had the Nike shoes and Reebok was outfitting the team. And it was a big controversy about, you know, who was going to wear what. Same thing with this, uh, you know, desire to speak to the media or not. The fact that you're obligated only comes up when there's a controversy. And it really made me think of the last time I could think of a controversy in this way. And the fact that I think men and women are treated extremely differently when this situation arises, because the last time I remember this happening was Marshawn Lynch at the Super Bowl 
several years ago with the Seahawks, who wanted nothing to do with the media, didn't want to speak with them, uh, and so refused to do so, got a bunch of fines, and then eventually just sat there and gave one-word answers and basically made a joke of the whole thing. And he was treated as though that was something admirable, that he was, you know, fighting the system, that his, you know, his desire not to speak with the media came out of anger, not out of, you know, some sort of real issue that he might have. And Chantal, I'm wondering if you have noticed that sort of thing as well, that the way people are responding to Naomi Osaka not wanting to speak to the media is vastly different than they do when a male athlete does the same thing. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's an important question. Um, it's hard for me to answer that, but I do think, you know, studies have shown that in general, displays of certain emotions are tend to be a little bit um, more socially acceptable in men versus in women. So for example, anger, like you mentioned. So I do think that um, the potential is there for, for the two situations maybe to be viewed differently. Um, so what better time to talk about it and bring awareness to that than right now? And, you know, if changes do need to be made, um, I'm not sure of that, but now's the time, I think. So it's an important question. Adrian. I don't know if you have anything to add on top of that. <clears throat> yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's interesting because there's been lots of um, conversation in sport about how men and women are treated differently. And this is another example of it. And as you were saying, I was thinking the interesting part is then <laughs> it's interesting because the media is the one who then shares um, an interpretation of the Naomi that we read, you know, so she had challenges with media. And anyways, I was just laughing about that. But um, the other, the other layer too, is that uh, Naomi is also uh, racialized, you know, she is, um, she's an, an athlete that's, um, you know, racialized or BIPOC. And, you know, there are lots of challenges she's experienced. She was very good friends with Kobe Bryant and Kobe obviously passed away suddenly. Um, so, you know, it's always contextual and there's other things going on. And I, I go back to the comment that she's a human being, but, you know, she's female, she's racialized, um, she's introverted. You know, for her to, um, you know, get ready to do interviews is probably very challenging. And so for all athletes, you know, there's parts of it that you love and there's parts that are more challenging and the parts that are more challenging take more energy. And for her, probably after those interviews, she, you know, spends time kind of working through it. And the other thing, a lot of athletes are, are real perfectionists. And, you know, when they go to an interview, maybe they didn't answer a question the way that they wanted to. They'll also perseverate that on that and think about that. And, you know, they're not very self-compassionate always. Um, so I think that, you know, there's lots of factors that go into it. And, um, athletes aren't superhuman. And unfortunately, in the culture, sometimes I think that uh, we don't do a good job of helping athletes to uh, recognize that and, and deal with their emotions and be okay with them. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, the, that's the beautiful part about this. Uh, I love what Chantel said is that that's an important thing to discuss. And, you know, emotions and mental health and all those are very important things to discuss as well. And so, um, in a way good for her for having the courage to take care of herself so that it forces all of us we're left to sit with it now and think about it and uh, discuss it in a way that we would not have if that didn't happen is mental health still stigmatized within the sports world to a larger degree than it is outside 
do you want to talk? I feel like I've been talking a lot, but uh, I would say I don't think to a larger degree. I often think that sports are microcosm for larger society. And I think just as a society, we we're not sure kind of what to do about it and what to talk about it. Um, I know for myself, uh, Chantel spent a lot of time around me and I, uh, you know, I believe that, um, you know, mental and physical well-being is necessary if we want to reach our potential. And so I spend a lot of time really trying to normalize it and uh, normalize the way we're wired and being the best version of yourself. Um, Chantel actually did an interesting she uh, she earned a grant uh, with the swimming uh, uh, you know a group of swimmers shocking but uh, in the swimming population the province of Manitoba and she was looking at uh, mental health rates and mental health literacy what did you find with that Chantel? Yeah we found that in certain variables um, you know we have to keep in mind the the really small sample size of the study and, and sort of keep the context of that in mind but for certain variables like um, like anxiety, like depressive symptoms, um, the province's swimmers were showing sort of increased rates compared to the general population. But again, I think we really have to be careful how we interpret those findings, just given the really small sample size and might not be quite generalizable to athletes as a whole. Um, and it's, it's, that's a hard question to answer, you know, but I do think there is a stigma for athletes, whether it's larger than uh, the general population is sort of another question. But I think as athletes, based on my experience, um, we're kind of given praise when, you know, we have a brave face on, you know, um, it's so interesting. Just the other day, Adrian and I did a presentation with my old swim club and one of my old coach was, was praising, you know, that I never cried and that I always had a smile on my face. And I think for a lot of athletes, we really do get that reinforcement of being quote mentally tough and, and pushing through physical and emotional pain. And I think, and I'm hopeful that, you know, we're, we're starting to change that, especially with sort of increased awareness and communication about mental health in sports and in athletes. But I also think we still have a long way to go. And perhaps even, you know, in the general population as well. I, this is what I'm talking about. And I, this is what I was thinking uh, when I was asking about it. And, you know, the idea of being mentally tough is something that we very much, we lavish praise on the Tiger Woods of the world and the LeBron James and Michael Jordans. And uh, Adrian, I see you have a Muhammad Ali poster behind you, you know, uh, right? Mental toughness was always one of the things that made them the greatest. And, you know, I saw Serena Williams, you know, talking about Naomi Osaka. And I thought, uh, you know, oh, good, right? She's coming to defend her. But the defense of her was, you know, some of us are stronger than others. And I thought ah, that that actually sounds a little bit backhanded to me in a way, right? That, that the notion that if you are unable to handle a certain thing outside of the sport that you're actually playing, that it indicates a lack of strength is kind of a problematic take on it, I, I thought. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's interesting. I yeah, there's a lot of analogies you could use, but if you think of something that's really stiff, you know, it breaks easily, but something like a phone book, you know, it's tough, tough to break. And so I, I think mental toughness really comes from, you know, emotional agility. And, and for me, I'm thinking about performance on demand and also lasting over time. <clears throat> and in my experience, um, and if you look at uh, Michael Phelps was actually, they, they produced a movie and uh, I can't remember, I think it was on, um, the weight of gold, <clears throat> where they talked about this very concept. And 
<clears throat> so even someone like Michael Phelps, who is seen as this incredibly tough person, he talks about the weight of that. You know, like Chantel had alluded to, always smiling, never crying. Well, he was on the inside and he had a lot of struggles because he didn't know how to process his emotion and he didn't know how to feel pain and to feel grief. And we're all human beings at the end of the day and we're built the same way. And I want, um, you know, it's not like I'm trying to figure out an environment where my athletes can survive. I'm trying to figure out conditions in which they can thrive. And if someone is mentally well and then they can handle the the load of high performance sport where you're going to fail a lot you're going to be deeply deeply hurt and those are going to be really hard burdens to carry and if you're not someone who knows how to take care of your mental well-being you're probably not going to reach your full potential because you are going to break before you get there and i think that that's um that's kind of what i've witnessed over time and the athletes who can process emotion and deal with that and learn the lessons and they, they, they last longer and they do better over time. Chantal, you are now studying psychology and you're learning about all this stuff. Uh, do you look back now every now and then in retrospect and think, oh, I wish I had known that when I was training. I wish I had, you know, been familiar with this concept when I was getting ready for a big meet. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting question. I mean, on the one hand, I've learned a ton um, and I'm so grateful for all of that knowledge. And I've really done my best to try to pass that on to Canada's up and coming generation of youth um, and youth athletes. But I think on the other hand, I probably wouldn't have changed a thing about that process because I think there was just so much learning and growth that happened through like Adrian said, through failure and through heartbreak and through really, really painful and uncomfortable experiences. Um, and it got me to where I am today, got me to who I am today. So I guess in that sense, you know, I probably wouldn't have changed anything, but man, am I grateful for all of the lessons that I've learned and I'm continuing to learn um, in this program. And you know, things that I learned now, I, I'm trying to, just as a grad student, I'm trying to put all of these really important tools and tips and tricks into my daily day, uh, daily life these days as well. And a lot of your former teammates uh, and younger people who are up and coming that you're now trying to pass this knowledge along to, they're going to go to the Olympics this summer which has an added layer of stress and uncertainty on it. Uh, what do you think that's like for them preparing to go to a place in the middle of a pandemic, uh, heading out to Tokyo, going to be in that Olympic village and, you know, so much uncertainty around the world in a microcosm right there in that area. I can't imagine how tough it's been for these athletes, especially, you know, again, in the example of swimming and, Adrian could probably speak uh, to this better than I could, but they've moved and sort of postponed their Olympic trials numerous times. So athletes were four times. So athletes were ready, ready to compete, and then it gets postponed. So just dealing with that roller coaster of emotions is tough, I think. And so, you know, athletes are in for hopefully an incredible summer, but definitely not without its challenges as well. And that's one of the hidden benefits of the pandemic, I suppose, is athletes weren't able to hide their emotions and pretend they didn't have them. Um, and I think that to train and get ready for an Olympic trials, the amount of energy, and Chantel could definitely 
uh, speak about that, this sense of readiness that you have and like the day or week before for it to be canceled is incredible. Another example is someone like Tyler Mislachuk, who's a triathlete, just switching it up, some swimming, but not all swimming, Chantel, there, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> Tyler Mislachuk, um, he actually recently just won um, a test event, the last event before the uh, Olympic Games in, in Tokyo. So he's doing great. He's a, an Olympic hopeful. And um, you know, he had done all his, his training last year in Spain. Uh, so the investment athletes make financial, uh, et cetera. So wait for your family for months and triathletes train hard. Like we are, it's, it's hard to describe the load that they have to put in their body to get ready, you know? So he did all that training and the week before his season started, the entire season was canceled and he flew back to Canada. And he said that, you know, I'm, I'm going to consider the training that I put in an investment it's not, it wasn't a waste. It's an investment for the future. And so when he won that last test event, I thought of that statement and, um, you know, and he said, don't give me too much credit for that. The, I'm doing that because that's the only way I can stay mentally well right now. Like for him to think it was lost was just too much, you know? So he was like, no, it's an investment, you know? Um, and, but that's a great mentality for athletes too. Um, you know, it's an investment and it's learning and you don't always get the outcome you want, but that doesn't mean all the, the learning and all the investment wasn't worth it. But, you know, so there's been a lot of, a lot that athletes have had to process and work through just like everyone else. And, um, the ones who are able to kind of adapt and learn and grow and process the emotion they're they're gonna um, it's gonna be a, a bit easier for them probably in that environment there's so much there's so much change multi-sport games are stressful at the best of times as Chantal can tell you uh, there's so many moving parts and um, so this is like a whole other aspect even quite honestly even the protocols so last you know the swim trials were just in Toronto and I mean there's a multi-page document of how they prepare usually an athlete before you prepare and you bounce around a little no no no. now it's like you do it from this time to this time then you do this test then you go here then you stand here like it was just um a very rigid protocol process so that's a lot to to, to work through as well but at the end of the day we're all human we're all different and we all need different things to be successful and, and that's okay and hopefully we can the system and 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 others we can give permission for people to do that so we get to see best results and best performance because that's why sport's so fun now, you mentioned that triathletes train extremely hard. Would you say they train three times as hard as swimmers? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, every sport's different in terms of, you know, how they train. But, uh, and it depends, quite honestly, even within swimming, right, Chantel? There's different training regimes. If you look at... Um, Chantel was in a, with a coach and they did a lot of, they did a lot of miles, you know, whereas, you know, there's another athlete who uh, was just at the trials and she's with a coach that's more technically focused. And so, um, they don't do as many miles. And so every training is different, but uh, Chantel trained like a triathlete. She did a lot of hours, a lot of miles to do, you know, and she did a 50 meter swim too, but man, she was just like, <laughs> she swam a lot for those 50. I have no doubt. All right, Chantal, what is the Olympic sport that requires the least training? That's the one I want to do. Oh. <laughs> I, I have no idea. It's a great question. <laughs> I don't I think, think the Olympics are for you, Eric. It has to be a passion, to be honest, right? And yeah. <laughs> if you're asking that question, no, I know, I know you're asking it facetiously too, but <laughs> no, there's probably no sport that you could find. Um, they are especially nowadays, it's, there's so much science behind it. Um, every athlete in every sport at the games, it's been the entire focus of their life for pretty much their whole life up until that moment, to be honest. And right. everything they do revolves around training. Every resource their family has probably revolves around getting them there. Um, and that's, 
that's what they're taking with them to the games. And that's why they care so deeply about it. Yeah. When I was in university, I chose water polo over swimming because I didn't have to do as many laps and I'm lazy and easily bored. So yes, <laughs> not for me. Um, so this is not the first podcast that you guys have been on together. Uh, Adrian, tell me about the podcast that you've been doing with athletes uh, throughout this whole pandemic. Oh, that's right. We have a podcast called Heroes in Our Midst. And actually, Chantel was a guest on the podcast. And um, it really is. Uh, it's about the human behind the performance and getting to know the athletes. And I think that stories are so powerful and there's such connection. And there's so many myths about athletes that they're they're different than us. And, you know, they're just special. And it's like, no, they're hardworking human beings and they're exactly like us. And we can learn so much about the athlete journey. Um, and I'll let Chantel, what was your experience like on the on the podcast she's one of our heroes so uh, it was it was great and I agree I I really enjoyed listening to them as well I just think humans are so interesting and you know you have season two out now and uh, you're talking to you know other people besides just athletes high performers psychiatrists really kind of elite people in their respective fields and I just think there's so much to be learned from others um but I agree, especially sort of with season one and with athletes, I think sometimes, well, maybe just younger athletes and in some of the mentoring work that I've done, they look up to these Olympians or these heroes and they think that, you know, they're up here and they're sort of untouchable and unreachable. But I think the beautiful thing about this podcast, which Adrian alluded to, is that really we're all at the end of the day, we're all kind of human first. And I think that really shines through and that there's, there's a lot more similarities um, between these, these guests than people might think. Interesting. And we'll put the link to that podcast uh, in the show notes for this podcast, uh, as we do. Now, Chantal, uh, when I was uh, in grade 11, I won a competition uh, on a rowing machine. I did 500 meters faster than anyone else did 500 meters. And I got a medal and it's still hanging on my wall. In my <laughs> home. I was very, It's like the pinnacle of my athletic achievement in my career. Um, where's your bronze medal right now? Well, first off, congratulations. Um, my medal is in my books, uh, my bookshelf behind me. I keep it close by just because I've been doing some virtual mentoring with athletes during COVID and even though it's it's through a screen it seems like young athletes still really like to see it and, and take a good look at it so I, I try to show it to others um, athletes mainly as much as I can just to kind of inspire that next generation and what's that I'll ask Chantel a question about her medal Chantel what does that medal mean to you like when you look at it and what does it represent to you it's a lovely question. I think it just represents um, sort of that investment you talked about, Adrian. Um, years and years of hard work and sacrifice. You know, I started competitive swimming at four years old. And don't ask me how the dream of going to the Olympics got in my head at that age, but it was there. And I made the team at 21. So 17 years of tra ch chasing that dream. Um, it's a big commitment. It was a huge sort of sacrifice in a lot of areas of my life. So that medal just sort of represents all the hours of hard work um, that went into it. Very cool. Now you were talking about uh, you're doing uh, virtual uh, sessions with young athletes. Uh, what are those about and what are you doing uh, in that capacity? 
Yeah, I actually work with a company called Head to Head, which was founded by a two-time Olympic swimmer, Martha McCabe. And during this time, you know, I, I did some work pre-COVID, but during COVID, we've done a lot of workshops with athletes uh, across the country and not just swimming, multi-sports, um, just to sort of give tips and tricks and advice on, on coping and managing with the pandemic, as well as sharing our stories as Olympians. Um, and the whole idea about it is really to create these lasting relationships with young athletes. And I think so often an Olympian might come in and speak with the club and then they're never seen from again. And the idea with head to head is, you know, multiple um, contact points throughout the year, just so that these young athletes really do get to see, oh, like, you know, that Chantel, she's not so scary. Maybe I am more like her than I thought, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. So it's really just to kind of humanize us um, and, and to build those relationships that maybe in sports sometimes, especially during a pandemic is a little bit harder to, to facilitate. Also, great, you're probably- a great program. I was thinking you should put a link to that in the podcast area too. It's I will a, put a link a to that program. in the, yeah, yeah. I will. Uh, also, I was going to say you're less scary behind a computer screen as well. Everyone is because you can't tell that you're six foot four and super. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> now, are you doing that in your capacity as an Olympian or as a psychologist or is it a bit of both? It's a good question. It's more in my capacity as an Olympian, I would say, although my training in psychology and, and my training in school no doubtedly sort of influences some of the messages that I give across and uh, the context in which I deliver them. And, you know, I never fail to really just speak to the importance of mental health during this time. And then in that sense, I think my training really sort of allows me to um, talk about that from sort of a scientifically informed perspective. Very cool. Uh, Adrian. You must be dealing with a ton of people who are getting ready for Tokyo. Uh, what's, what's the big thing that's happening now? What's the, what's the biggest concern most people have going over there? Well, huh, I don't know if there is a biggest concern. I think everyone's in a different place. Um, up until now, um, as Chantel alluded to, there were some athletes that were still waiting to qualify. And so that was, that was tough. Um, in general, when I work with my athletes, um, you know, athletes have their job to do and, and everyone around them has their other job to do. So it's not up to them to worry and plan. That's up to everyone around them. So right now, I think a lot of athletes are pretty dialed in and, and ready to perform. Um, there are some athletes, though, that, uh, you know, might worry a bit more about COVID. Uh, you know, they're just like, I guess if we went and talked to the general population, you'd probably find a range in there too. And, and some are more, but, but the athletes are, you know, they're, they're in a great system. And I work with Canadian athletes, you know, that are going to Tokyo and um, the Canadian Olympic Committee on the podium. There's a really great system of human beings behind them. And even the area we were talking about is mental health. Literally just before this, I got off a mental health partner call. There's, there's a, um, you know, strategy for mental health for high performance sport in our country. Um, one of the probably there's like one or two other countries that have dabbled in the area, but this one's by far the most sophisticated that we just produced, um, you know, a few months ago. And so there's just a network of people around them. Our, our athletes have incredible support systems. So someone like Chantel, 
uh, would have worked in something we call an integrated support team. It's athlete, you know, led coach driven. And there's a group of professionals and their job is to do everything they can to help that athlete be able to live the dream that's in their heart, you know, and have the best performance possible. So, um, you know, Athletes come as part of an NSO, which is a national sport organization, but then at this, it's a multi-sport game. So they're also part of the Canadian Olympic Committee family too. So, you know, they have their supports within their sport, but then they have this, the support from other parts of the country as well. Um, and they have, you know, what they need. So those people have been working hard. I saw this thing on leadership that, that really impacted me. You know, Amy Edmondson, it was talking about leading during crisis and and she was saying that, you know, we can't lead with maps right now because there aren't any. We've never been here before. So we have to lead with a compass. And so I think that's what um, a lot of the people around these athletes are doing. They know that they might not have all the answers they need right now, but what they're going to do is make the best decision they can right now. And when they get new ev evidence tomorrow and new information, they're going to make a change as well. And, um, you know, I think the people around athletes are doing a great job of doing whatever they can to, um, to set them up. Um, initially with return to train, there was a lot of worry about you know, safety and fear and should I be doing it? But um, athletes have been going again for a while. So they've worked past that. They're, they're back in love with their sport and they're doing the best they can to represent themselves in their country. All right. We've got three minutes left. So Chantal, last question to you. Uh, when you see your uh, teammates and the younger people getting ready to go to the Olympics, do you wish you were there or are you glad that you've had that experience and you've moved on? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I was just watching the Canadian swim trials. They're going on right now, actually. Um, and I've had a few people ask me that and I love watching it. I've gotten emotional watching some of my teammates make the team and I'm very happy not being there um, and sort of watching from the sidelines. And I think I'm so passionate about my grad studies and, you know, hope, hoping to come back and give back to sport in a different capacity. And so what will that capacity be? Where are you going from here? What's the ultimate goal? Yeah, well, I, I think I need to figure that out a little bit, but I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to completely leave the sport. And so I see myself working with athletes, hopefully um, as a sports psychologist, you know, in, in some capacity um, in the future. Terrific. Well, thank you guys both so much for being here and taking the time to speak with me today. And uh, we will put a link to Heroes in Our Midst in the notes to the show. And Chantal, I'm going to need you to send me the title of the uh, place you're working so that I can put that link in as well. Yes, head to head. And thank you so much for having us. It was fun. Those links are in the notes to this podcast. Check out the Heroes in Our Midst podcast. It's a really insightful look into the lives and struggles of some of Canada's most remarkable people. And Head to Head is a terrific program founded by two-time Olympian Martha McCabe, who's working to help Olympians and other elite athletes overcome the challenges that arise when transitioning to life after sport. Many thanks to Adrian Leslie Toogood and Chantal Van Landehem for taking the time to talk about athlete mental health and best of luck to our Canadian athletes heading to Tokyo in a few weeks' time. Mindful is written, hosted, produced, edited, and scheduled by me, Eric Bowman. Our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor.